and during some of the toughest times I have a little piece of paper in my wallet that I keep all the time even to this moment uh, of different things that I that mean to me, different sayings that mean a lot to me, uh, things that I strive for, recognizing my responsibility to give back. Reoccurring mantra I got into in college where I would just say, I'm going to break the mold. Two days after my second injury, my dad flew out to Indiana and we drove home. Went right up to my room, slept for a day, and then I woke up the next morning, I spray-painted my wall. No quitting me. I remember, you know, there is no quitting me and I won't, you know, I won't give up. The number one thing you gotta remember is you're transferring energy. And whatever energy you got is the energy the viewers are going to have. You are listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson, where we talk with experts of craft about their journey and what they have intentionally done to be their best self. As we talk with them, the hope is that we uncover intentional gems that you can use in your life. Now... Let's kick it over to Brian to introduce this week's guest. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Intentional Performers Podcast, or welcome to if this is your first time joining us. Excited to have another great episode today. Before we get to today's guest, I want to let you know a little bit about myself and the podcast. So first of all, I work as a mental performance coach and an executive coach where I get to work with athletes and executives, companies and sports teams on their mindset. And I love working with them either in a one-on-one setting or in a workshop setting. And I'm really fortunate to get to love what I do every day. And part of the reason I fired up this podcast was to learn and to learn from people that weren't my clients and to educate what I have learned from my clients and from all of my readings and learning along the way. So this podcast is about education. It's about learning. It's about stories. And it's about how people are intentionally setting their mind. So if you enjoy this conversation, feel free to share it on social media, share it on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, wherever it is your social. And if you could register a review on iTunes, it really does help us as we continue to try to build this thing out and make the show as strong as it possibly can be. Now to today's guest. Charlie Brenneman is somebody that I got introduced to by a former guest, Phil Costa. He said, Brian, I think you'd love talking to Charlie. And Charlie actually goes by the nickname The Spaniard. So perhaps you've heard about him when he was fighting in mixed martial arts, MMA. He got up to the number seven ranked fighter in his weight class there. He also may sound familiar because he appeared in the reality TV show Pros vs. Joes. And when I say he appeared, he actually won that contest. And that was really the beginning of when he started to shift his mindset. So he had been an elite wrestler for most of his life and a good athlete, but he really figured some things out about his mindset then and is continuing to find out more as he's become obsessed with this idea of being a lifelong learner and learning about how he can show up, how he can show up in his career, how he can show up for his family and what his mindset should be for those types of scenarios. Today, Charlie is really a thought leader. He is a, as I said, lifelong learner. He focuses on giving talks, workshops. He has a podcast. He's written a book and he's writing another book. And he really is trying to help people learn how to be bold. So he's developed a systematic approach to learning and teaching that is easy to consume. And it's built upon the five elements of excellence, which he focuses on vision, values, success, accountability, and surroundings. So I know you're going to find Charlie to be extremely bright, thoughtful, and really passionate about learning. And so without further ado, I'm so excited to present to you, Charlie the Spaniard Brenneman. Charlie, great to have you on the podcast. I feel weird even calling you Charlie because we're doing this over Zoom and in the left-hand corner, it says Spaniard. And uh, I'm excited to explore the nickname and, and how Spaniard came to be. Uh, but I'm excited to chat with you. We've chatted on the phone. Uh, we got introduced by a former podcast guest, Phil Costa, um, and just excited to explore your mindset and understand how you've come to be you. Uh, and perhaps start with start with the nickname. Give us an idea of where that came from, and and give us some context. Yeah. So it, you know, you you might feel awkward here with this virtual call we're having, but I mean, it's a, a thing in real life. You know, when I, and it's even for me because. 
So my name is Charlie. My nickname is Spaniard. Spaniard is my fight nickname. I used to, I was a professional fighter in the UFC. I fought for a, a handful of years. And prior to that in college, I had pretty relatively long curly hair. And my wrestling coach started calling me Antonio Banderas. And then uh, post wrestling, when I was looking for a fight name, I thought oh, that makes sense. But he had morphed it into Spaniard later on. And uh, so I just stuck with it. But I was a Spanish teacher prior to this second and third kind of career that I've had. So there's a, a route. And I'm not Spanish by blood, but I, I love the language. I love the culture. And I'm obsessed with pretty much learning in general. But I love Spanish and the language and culture and everything. So, but yeah, when I, when I actually, I guess to wrap that up, when I send emails, not when I make phone calls, but when I send emails, I'm always like, all right, that's not Charlie or Spaniard or Charlie Spaniard. And cause there's a thing in Brasilia, in Brasilia, Brazilian fighters where they take the, it's like some of them in, in fighting, they just take their nickname. So they're just known by their nickname or like their last name is their nickname. So it's their first name and then their nickname. And that's just how you know them. You don't even know their real last name. So so I pretty much just started signing Charlie Spaniards. So <laughs> call me whatever you want. Do your friends call you Spaniard? It's really odd. Uh, it sounds kind of like a little bit, oh my gosh, are you serious? But I do have a handful of friends that call me Spaniard. And it's not, it's not novelty. It's certainly not because I asked them to. Some of them just call me Spaniard. Most call me Charlie. A few call me Chuck, like a very few call me Chuck. And a handful of friends and close acquaintances call me Spaniard. And it, it it's interesting also, this is super off topic from what we're going to talk about, but if a person who calls me Chuck all of a sudden calls me Charlie, something happens in my brain where I'm like, why did you, what, what did you, what, what happened? And then it's like, oh yeah, you didn't call me my name. Why did you call me Charlie? It's that way with everything. So it, it's a weird automation that takes place in my brain. It's amazing. Well, no one ever confused me with Antonio Banderas. So I think you should take that as a compliment. And uh, <laughs> my nickname when I was a kid, I had all kinds of them, but one guy started to call me Nat, like G-N-A-T. Yeah. And I hated it because I was a scrawny little, little yeah. dude. But when I played sports, I was a little bit of a pest. And so he tried to get it to stick. It didn't really stick because my last name has a lot of iterations that you can roll with. But Antonio Banderas and uh, Spaniard. I had curly hair in the back yeah. as well when I was uh, in college. So uh, you mentioned wrestling, you mentioned MMA. Um, maybe talk about how you got into wrestling and, and when that came into your life. It's one of those things and I'm pretty, you know, we were talking about intentional things we do. I'm, you know, I'm pretty intentional about it with my kids now, but looking back, I was just brought up around the sport when I was a kid. And, and when I say a kid, I'm thinking my first memory is like, seven eight years old i started wrestling when i was eight so i'm guessing i saw it when i was seven but i remember going to these tournaments back in the day uh, they still have them somewhat i'm in pm in pennsylvania now which is pretty big wrestling state so i don't know if they're everywhere in the country but there were these things called the old timers tournament and it was when older dudes like i am now 38 40 somewhere 50 and 60 would wrestle and they were called old timers tournaments and these guys would get in their singlets and wrestle. Some, it was like, you know, high school heroes still trying to live out the dream. Some were just having fun, but my dad would do those tournaments. And I remember going up to our junior high, you know, uh, gym and watching, I was like, this is crazy and awesome. Now it's like weird. Can you imagine hopping in a singlet and, and getting on the wrestling mat now in, a, in an auditorium? But they were the, they were a big deal, man. Like there were a lot of people that went. So from there, I just, I was around and my brothers wrestled, my dad wrestled, my uncle wrestled and, and I was just brought up in it and then fighting, I'm kind of fast tracking, but fighting was just an extension of it. It was getting to a point in life where my competitive career was over. And this is an area that I'm kind of like realizing that's a, that's a space that exists is this idea of transitioning. And, you know, I went once from wrestling to the regular world and then again from the regular world to fighting. And then again, from fighting to, all right, how am I going to build something? And so fighting was simply an extension of wrestling, but I had uh, graduated from college, became a Spanish teacher for three years. And, you know, within a year I, I grew super, uh, you know, discontent. I needed something. I wanted something. And then fighting was the pretty much did an, an audit of, all right, what, what, you know, what can I do? And I figured I could learn to fight based on my wrestling background. And that's kind of how it led. Going back to childhood, what was what was life like for you? You mentioned brothers, you mentioned dad. Just give us some context as far as what life was like for you as a kid growing up. 
It was really, man, and these conversations make you sound old. And, you know, I, w- you and I are roughly, at least roughly the same age. And I just felt like I, I was like into stuff. And it's not that that doesn't exist now, but I feel like looking, you know, scanning the surface, I, f- I feel like it exists less, but I was into stuff and I was doing stuff. I was like super hardworking, dedicated at a young age. You know, I was... I'll say like experiencing heart heartache and triumph, but basically winning and losing, basically being happy and crying because I lost like at, you know, eight, nine, 10 years old on a regular basis. So by the time I was in middle school, it was like my life was dedicated to wrestling and there was, you know, I'll say nothing else, obviously family, friends, school, et cetera. But I mean, that was it. I was already sacrificing at a young age to, you know, make the right choices and go to the right camps and miss this party and miss that thing because, for as long as I can remember, I just want to be a state champion. And then it only grew and grew and grew from there. And dad was a wrestler. Your brothers are wrestlers. Tell me a little bit about your mom and what life was like, uh, under her house. Yeah. I'm, I'm, man, I hit the jackpot with parents because my, my dad, uh, you know, we've talked about him, but super solid guy. He was a salesman. Uh, my mom was a, a school nurse or RN and then a school nurse. Uh, she's Italian Catholic and, He's from the Farm Methodist, and they kind of brought two pretty different cultures together. You know, it was still a little bit odd when they got together, and they're like 70-ish right now, but, you know, cultures were still kind of coming together in the U.S., and it was a little bit weird for these different strong cultures to to get together, but they did it and raised a super solid set of kids where I have three other siblings, and it was, uh, you know... I think about this because I reflect a lot on how I am as a parent now. And I, it wasn't like that one was the, the, you know, nice guy and one was the mean, it was just like, they were just there and it was a team. And sometimes I'd, you know, I'll say be afraid of, but I mean that within context of my dad and sometimes be afraid of my mom. Sometimes, you know, my, my dad, it was like a man to man trust thing. And then other times I was a total baby and my mom would, you know, hug me. And so I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit of both a mama's boy and I have a deep respect for my dad. And, you know, I value the, what they both gave to me. It was, it was pretty different, but it was a good mix. What were those values? Almost first and foremost is being a good person. You know, if I had to put it all together and I think that's why my mission of helping to develop good people is so important, but it was, it was, if I could, uh, you know, if you ask me what, what's a thing that your parents used to say to you or instill in you, I, I, one of the first things that always pops into my mind is like the kid or the person to whom no one is talking, talk to that person, you know, like make that person feel welcome. If you can help someone feel good, help them feel good. So that hard work without a doubt, it, we were, we were taught the, 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 the value of hard work to, to win, respectfully to lose respectfully to get back up to be kind and empathetic like all these things that I harp on every day via my show is is essentially the things that I learned and that the the standard of excellence was I mean it had to be instilled by them I was a kid so I didn't actually I don't know what was going on but my oldest brother I'm I'm I'm, I'm surmising received that standard from them and then it just trickled down my mom had two sisters uh, I think it was nine grandkids we all grew up in within 150 yards and it was just like you just did what the older ones did and and that standard was set um and we just followed it and that was a a standard of doing your best are you more like mom or more like dad see i i have no idea i wish my wife was in here so she can answer that question but I, i mean my i'd say honestly like my I don't even know. I'm, I'm, maybe my mom, but only because I, I look like her more than, than I look like my dad. But uh, that's, a, that's a tremendous question. And I'm going to have to ask my wife after we're done. Yeah, that'll be, you can learn about yourself a little bit after I, the mic's finished. I'm, I'm such an emotional person. So, but my dad's an emotional person. Um, I don't know. It's a great question. When you say emotional, tell me a little more about that. So me, uh, I'm emotional in that I cry often. I'm very passionate about the things I do. I, I'll go hundred. I go a hundred percent in a few directions, and if it's not in those few directions, then I really don't like to do it. So, for example, my car is a mess. I know that a lot of people 
I've heard, you know, if you want to look at a person's whatever, look at their car. Well, that's not simply not true. You know, my life is is very high performing and my car is not nice because I do, don't, it's not a priority of mine. So uh, I get really into the things I get into and I'm very passionate about it. And I'll, I'll get teary eyed a lot talking about the things that I love because I love them so much. Uh, I'm easy to to read in terms of emotions. You know, if I'm upset, if I have a good day, you can see it on my face. And I kind of, for a while, especially as of late, since fighting, you know, trying to establish a business, I kind of looked at that as maybe like a weakness or a thing I want to get over. But I don't know. You know, I, I read a lot. I remember reading in Vince Lombardi's book, they used to call him Mr. High-Low because he was either high or low. The emotions were, but that's like, that's what makes me me. And, and it, um, it makes me like, you, you, get, you get how I am. So there's not real any hiding. If I'm upset, then you're going to hear in the tone of my voice. Two things that I want to pull on. One, what you talked about with the car. I once worked with a semi-pro golfer. Uh, she was out in Arizona. I remember I flew out there to spend the day with her. And her instructor was there and her dad. So those were the two people that were giving me more data on who she is. And I remember the instructor saying, yeah, her freaking car. Like, it's a mess. She just doesn't take care of the things that you should take care of yeah and i remember sitting there being like well maybe she just doesn't really care that much about yeah. like what's going on with the car and you bring something up that i think is really important which is we listen to maybe military professionals that say make your bed like make your bed first thing in the morning that's a great example you know that's discipline you know make your bed or work out at 5 30 in the morning like that's start your day working out or meditate or this or that or the other and i think we often get too prescriptive in yeah. telling people what they should be doing and i think what's much more powerful is to have a conversation oh well tell me why your car is a bit of a mess and you know is it something that you want to change um yeah. and what's the value of putting the effort into changing that and i i, I just I, yeah you're about to riff so go ahead yeah well i was going to say about the 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 bed and the working out it's the, those are two great examples and you know the the they're both tremendous practices the the second is one that i i don't necessarily love and adhere to but it's one where i'm saying okay i do want to make an intentional effort to do this and it's not necessarily because of the discipline it's mainly because I have two small kids, five and two, and they exhaust me. And when the PM rolls around, I always used to work out in the PM. I mean, you train and practice at night mostly. I'm just like, oh, I don't want to do it anymore. So that's a practice that I'm intentional about it. The bed, I just, you know, that's a tremendous book. And Admiral McRaven, who, who wrote that and gave that speech, obviously that guy knows what he's talking about. But as a human, you just got to pick and choose. You know, I can give you 10,000 other examples of discipline and et cetera that I do. So it is really important in that noise, not noise, but the sources from which we pull can absolutely be overwhelming. And I suffer from self-judgment. You know, if so-and-so is my hero and they say this and then I'm like, oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. I give a perfect example. You know, I, I highly respect Jocko Willink and I love his content and his books, et cetera. So I started getting up at 430 because he's going to do it. I'm going to do it. He's going to do it. I'm going to do it. Bah, 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 bah. Then after six months, I was literally falling asleep at 445 p.m. And like, I can't, I can't do this. So I had to look in the mirror and say, all right, tough guy, <laughs> you can't do it. Figure out another way. And it's awesome. I was just today listening to one of Jocko's podcasts. And honestly, I don't really listen to his podcast, even though I have friends that love it. The reason I was listening is because one of our past podcast guests, a guy named Mitch Aguiar, um, who's also uh, a fighter, uh, Mitch was just on his podcast. So I was listening to it. And Mitch, even though he's a Navy SEAL, is a free spirited guy, yeah. like not a yes sir, no sir type of guy. And it was just interesting hearing Jocko, you know, and, and Jocko's ideology and framework and Mitch and they're very different and they still end up you know doing some similar things but they're also very different and I always I love the phrase like there's more than one way to eat a Reese's and I yeah. think that that applies to so many other things in life and I will tell you I am not a morning person and if I remember saying to my older brother once man I feel like I need to wake up early and be more you know work out first thing in the morning and meditate and do all this yeah. and my older brother looked at me he's like Brian you were always the one, I'm one of three boys. He's like, you were always the one that needed to sleep. You needed to sleep yeah. in. And you hit your stride a little bit later, but in the morning, no one wanted to interact with you. And if you ask my wife what I'm like in the morning, she'll say, Brian, like I just keep my distance. And so for me, I remember talking to somebody about this and you hit the nail on the head. I started to feel very overwhelmed about not 
being not doing enough and maximizing the day based on what science says. And what I started to realize is I need to figure out how to be the best version of me and whatever that looks like. And so if someone wants to judge me for sleeping to seven or seven thirty, like that's on them, but I'm going to get my sleep, which I know will help me perform better throughout the day. And that's been massive. And so I love that you brought it up because I think people probably look at you and they're looking at this guy like, man, you know, he's in great shape. He seems to have a ton of energy. He's a speaker. He does podcasts. He does all these things. And then they think, oh, I'm going to follow that person and just do what yeah. he does. But it might not be the right prescription based on what that person needs. So two things. The first one to, to backtrack a bit, the, the idea of judgment. I mean, it's, it's, my hope is that the world, you know, everyone, because I think it's a thing that we should all embrace is, is to like be okay with one. I wish we didn't judge and I'm included in that. And two, I, I wish people would develop the confidence to not worry about being judged and do what you want to do. You know, I don't know if you've ever experienced, I, I, I like to, I like to ask questions that can be pretty personal. Um, you know, on our last phone call, you and I were talking about business and we were asking back and forth. You know, I like to ask people personal questions, but it's not because I'm, I'm, I don't know. It's not, I'm not competing with you. I just want to know like, Hey, where are you at and where am I at? How is this journey that I'm on? What, what's it supposed to look like with, uh, downloads and guests and whatever's whatever, whatever. And you can just tell that some people aren't comfortable with being honest. And it's like, I'm not trying to win, man. I just, I'm, I'm I'm just curious. And, and I wish people would develop the confidence to say, yeah, you know, I tried that and it, it didn't work and I couldn't, I couldn't do it. So I didn't do it. You know, that's a, I wish it could get that way. Um, and then my, my uh, second train of thought slipped my mind. So we can resume. Well, it'll, it'll pop back in as we keep going. Uh, I want to talk to you about wrestling because wrestling is a sport that requires discipline. You know, it is a, it is a sport that requires a lot of effort and I've been fortunate to work with college wrestlers and see the commitment that it, it requires, not just physically, but also mentally. Um, and so I'd love to hear what your experience was like uh, as a wrestler. And, um, you know, I'm just going to leave it broad and open cause I, yeah. I don't want to put any context on it. And then I'll put like probably my spin on, on the sport as well. For sure. I'll start it with, uh, and, a direction that I wouldn't have ever started this question, except that I had this conversation yesterday. I was talking to a friend of mine who was a, a former wrestler and he was the head coach when I was coaching high school. So I was his assistant coach and he went to Hawaii and he was uh, fishing for Marlin. And the way that it worked on this charter was that these uh, rods were set up. You got assigned a number, you took that rod. And then the, the sixth person was kind of the fill in. So when you got tired reeling in the Marlin, cause it takes hours this person finished the reel and, and brought the fish in. And uh, he said he was talking to the mate before they left and they were talking about wrestling. This guy actually went to, this guy I believe went to college with Dan Gable's roommate or went to high school with Dan Gable's roommate. Dan Gable being, you know, one of the greatest wrestlers ever. But the, the, the moral of the story is it took forever to reel this Marlin in. And my buddy's not big, he's a small guy. And the mate said, do you want this replacement? And he said, absolutely not. And he said, at that point, it was like not even halfway in and I was toasted, sweating, burning, everything, but there was no way I was ever gonna let this other guy reel in this fish that I just got, so I stayed there. And then he said afterwards, the mate said something to the effect of, I, I absolutely knew you weren't going to give up that seat because wrestlers are different. Out of all these things I've ever done, you know, wrestlers have just a different mindset on how they do things. And I think that encapsulates it a lot. And even having been a professional fighter, I look at wrestling and wrestlers as the toughest dudes on the planet because, I mean, there's no, there's no, I'm going to say there's no glory, you know, that that's within context, but there's no money. There's no millions of dollars. There's no limelight. There's a lot of, of un, unthanked things that you do, you know, you put in the time all for a non-guarantee. And while everything in life incurs that, you know, life is hard work and then hopefully return, but there's no guarantee ever. Wrestling's hard work is harder than any other work I've ever done. And it, it includes sacrifice and discipline that, that puts you at your, and granted, I fought in the UFC. It puts you at your, in my opinion, the, the ultimate edge of, of your human potential. And that's both physical and mental. It's, it's unlike anything I've ever done. And for that, it, it's why I feel like it's so valuable to people. Did you like it? 
that's another tremendous question. And I, I actually often say this in, when I do talks, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I liked it, you know, it, but, but would I have ever chosen to not do it? No. Do I love who it made me as a person? Yeah. Do I love the sport of it? Absolutely. But like, did I like it? Did I think this is fun? No. And I, I don't think I ever thought that to be honest. And maybe I'm a minority, but I can tell you that when practice rolled around at three 30 in college, we weren't jumping at the bit. I wasn't. And I, I might be a, a, a minority or maybe that's part of the reason I never was the best in the world. Uh, but it was really freaking hard and, and I love it more than anything that I've ever done. But at the same time, like it was really freaking hard, man. No, you're not in the minority. <laughs> I've worked with American University's wrestling team for eight or nine years, and they've got a, a pretty solid wrestling team with guys who are competing on the national stage. And I often will ask, you know, do you like it? <laughs> and uh, a lot of them will give a response like, like, like you gave. And I think there's a couple of things. First of all, it's not isolated to, to wrestling. Uh, I hear it with swimmers. I hear it with uh, long distance runners. I hear it with rowers. I actually hear it with American football. Um, so I call them pain sports because, yeah. A, I think all of those sports require physical pain and dealing with fear and like literally the fear of injury. Um, and then also pain emotionally because when you're wrestling, it's, it's mano a mano. And, you know, you get on a mat and there's no one to pass the ball to and it's isolating and it's lonely. And you think about those other sports, swimming, you think about cross country and, and long distance running, um, which people don't realize is painful. Tennis is actually another one. Like when I work with tennis players, they don't always love it. And people don't realize how physically grueling tennis is. Anyone that watched uh, the recent Wimbledon, yeah. like yeah. those guys are monsters. I mean, like the, the fitness that they have to be in. Um, and then football, is, is really interesting because unlike the other sports, there really is a payday uh, in football. And so when I've worked with division one football players, they'll say, you know, I'm, I'm doing this to get my family out of whatever situation they're in. And, but they don't, most, many of them don't love it. There are guys, there are always going to be guys that love a sport because they just are obsessed with some aspect of it or competitiveness um, or, or something that they love. But I would say a lot of those sports I call pain sports. Um, the athletes, don't when I say if do you like it, they there's a hesitation. Whereas if I ask basketball or hockey or yeah. soccer um, or even baseball, guys would be like, "Oh man, I love, I just love being out here. Like it's awesome." And it's it's, but the the value that you get from it is like times the world. And to me, those are the best. That that's it. That's what makes it so great. And it's the same thing with going to the gym. I don't go to the gym just to like talk i go to the gym and freak nearly every set and again this is philosophy and whatever but i mean nearly every workout we'll put it that way test my metal as a human and it's not particularly fun but i know that when i'm done and i shower and i'm walking out and i look in the mirror i think you did it man you did it and that that gives me juice that that helps me keep on keeping on in every other aspect of my life so it's a it's a very much uh, earn earn and reward type of thing. It's not necessarily, you know, there are things I, I like watching Netflix. <laughs> I really do. I love, I love it. I love prime, but it doesn't make me, you know, who I am as a person. Any idea of where that came from for you? Was it the wrestling that installed it in you? Was it parents, the environment, this idea of like, Hey, I'm willing to sacrifice something now for, for something later. Uh, that's the, 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 one of the most important lessons I think anyone can learn or philosophies on which one can live. My guess is that it was, you know, before I can remember instilled in me by my parents, but then really taught to me by the sport of wrestling. So I, I, my parents, I'm sure laid the foundation. Then when I showed either talent and or interest in wrestling, they, you know, encouraged me in that direction. And then my guess is those two things just kind of married and enhanced from there. It's very odd too, because, you know, I look at close people in my life and they don't, they don't think that at all. And we're very different. So when I do talks and when I write and et cetera, I'm thinking to myself, there's someone who's reading this who thinks, I just don't get it, guy. I just don't get it. And to that, I would say, okay, okay. Like, I'm not going to try to tell you it's, it's what I think is very important. If you don't, okay, my stuff's not for you. 
There's so many ways to become successful. There is focusing on my strengths and maxing out my strengths. There's turning my weaknesses into strengths. There's delayed gratification. There's going towards my passion and going getting obsessed over it. So I, I think to your end, like delaying gratification has been a North Star for you and has allowed you to max out whatever it is that, that you have physically. And I actually also have to keep myself in check sometimes to make sure that the delaying of gratification or the instilling of discipline is actually moving the needle forward. Whereas sometimes I'll instill these uh, experiences of discipline in my daily life only to like later realize that's a waste of time. I, I didn't even need to do that. I'm, I'm not moving the needle forward. When did, when did you start becoming aware of that as a possibility? I, I really think just awareness on everything started opening up post fighting. I, I, I maybe towards the end of fighting, but especially post fighting when I, I've always been a, a, a curious person. I've always asked a lot of questions. I've liked reading books, but post fighting, I've like made books, my life and teaching books. And then, I mean, I, I first time I heard the word self-awareness was uh, I think Gary Vaynerchuk saying it. And then mindfulness, whenever that really smacked me in the head was, was reading Phil Jackson's book, uh, 11 rings. And I think, you know, within the last three, three-ish years is when I really, actually, I'll take, give you a really personal example. So I'm, I'm in, at my house right now. I woke up, my, we sold our house in April, moved into a temporary small house uh, attached to my brother-in-law's farm. Been living here for the last, whatever, month and a half. And it's, it's very frustrating, you know, because it, we can't find a house that we like. And I'm creating a business that, that is in its infancy and, and, it hasn't been validated or reached where I hoped and think it should be. And it's very frustrating. And my daughter, I just asked me to play and I, we were for a little bit and I said, okay, I got to do some work. And she asked again. And I very sternly said, honey, you need to understand daddy has to work. Mommy and daddy have to work and et cetera, et cetera. And then I felt really bad because she felt bad and, and I didn't like how I felt. And then afterwards I asked my wife, I said, when you hear me say that to her, is that me being unhappy with me or is that the right thing? And, and she said, well, I think probably the first, I think you're probably unhappy with you. And that's self-awareness, you know, and, and just that example of asking, being aware to ask that question is something that a, two, three years ago, I wouldn't even ask the question. Amazing. What triggered your exploration into reading those books and exploring it? So post-fighting, I decided first to write a book, pretty much, I don't know, just, I think it kind of came to me and it made sense. And a friend of mine said, yeah, that'd be a good idea. So I think that, that, but that was a, a, a memoir. Uh, and I went from teaching Spanish to fighting in the UFC. And then from there, speaking started. Uh, and from there, I became, you know, aware that thought influencing and being on a stage you need to know what you think and how to say it and everything so i was like okay okay and then kind of randomly i i needed a place to bury my energy it used to be in the gym training and fighting and a friend of mine kind of randomly suggested to me that i start creating some sort of daily content and i didn't know what to create and i thought well i really at that point i had dived into books pretty good just to fill my time and brain. Like I just, it was imagine all this energy that now needed to be displaced in somewhere. And then I started uploading these, these daily shows to my book. And then just by man, like I talk about the power of reading books and everyone knows and lifelong learning is important, et cetera. But I mean, it really changes you when you read, you know, a hundred books or 200 books and you really synthesize and listen and talk about and explore you start to think all kinds of new things. And it was through that process the last several years that I just became hyper reflective and aware of all kinds of things. One of the things that's been amazing for me to see, and you sort of referenced how generations change and how perhaps you were growing up and maybe it's different from your kids. And I think there's some truth to that. But one of the things that I, I am noticing is I just keep running into people that are learning. And maybe they're learning by listening to a podcast. Maybe they're learning by watching TED Talks. Maybe they're learning by reading books. The access to learning has become so open that, I mean, I'm sometimes I'm surprised. I'm like, wait, you're reading that book? Like, 
I didn't think that you would want to be interested in that. You're a CPA or, you know, you're working for the government and you're really into Jocko's podcast or whoever it might be. And the world I think is going to become more and more educated because the access is now so free and that gets me excited. Like you could probably hear my tone. Like I got juice thinking about that because we often talk about what's going wrong in our society and you know, the one place you turn on right now and you're not going to get much information is the news. And like you turn that on and you're not going to get that much education. And depending on what channel you're on, you're going to get completely different uh, perspectives. Um, but if you choose to do so, you can go find so much knowledge and I'm running into more and more people that have found their thing. So maybe reading is not their thing, but they are digesting podcasts. Maybe podcasts aren't their thing, but they love TED Talks. Maybe TED Talks aren't their thing, but they're reading blogs. I mean, there's just so much knowledge. And it's uh, that part is really exciting because I love how you said lifelong learning. That has become a, a North Star for me is that I always want to continue to learn. And I hope that I'm 87 years old and continuing to learn. It, to me, it just seems like the point of it, right? It seems like the point of it. And it, that, that idea, lifelong learning, became my major message organically. I, I, I certainly didn't set out. It was actually brought to my awareness by my partner who, who said, you know, this, lifelong learning is kind of what you do and, and that's kind of your thing. And so my coupling on what you're talking about, my, especially with kids, you know, it, my, my show, my daily work, I, I would say, is more geared towards grown-ups, professionals, and my. But most of my talks are youth and educational settings, and so it. But but with either person, I'm trying to like tap into what you're saying is this newfound whatever of learning and trying to like catapult that and or trick people into thinking learning and reading is like the coolest thing in the world. Because I tr I truly think it is, but most people are like, ah, I want to I want to read a book, but I just don't got time. It's like, no, you do, <laughs> you do actually. And so I'm 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 my mission is to to convey that and and enact that in others. Awesome. I want to step into the arena with you a little bit, and um, you have been you know, wrestling at an elite level. And, and by the way, we were talking about earlier when we were talking about wrestling. The other part of it is that the elite wrestlers in the world are, are, are on college campuses, which create all kinds of challenges as well when you think about the nature of wrestling. And so that's the other challenge that wrestlers have is a lot of times where they get to where they're at the top of their game. Uh, obviously, there's the Olympics and there's other places, there's world championships, but college wrestling, you know, they sell out Madison Square Garden. It's, it's really become, you know, the, the top of the pyramid for a lot of wrestlers. And they are doing that at a college campus, which goes against every lifestyle decision that they need to make that's um, but that, part of it. right like the, the, like yeah. you're a college wrestler that has to wrestle at you know 149 or whatever the weight class is and they're surrounded by beer and pizza and girls and, and if, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Most, like at the most kind of elementary level of college is the cafeteria I mean, it's all you can eat every all day, you, all day. All you can eat buffet. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, there's just, there's a lot to unpack there. And um, anyway, we, we won't even go into there, but I'm curious about your mindset. Uh, you talked about sometimes having the mindset for practice and it's like, oh, I got to go practice today and not necessarily being excited to, to practice when it came to wrestling. I want to really try to understand what your mindset was like when you're performing and how your mindset how you set your mind for performance when you're a wrestler. And then I'd also love to tap into how you set your mind as a teacher for three years, how you set your mind in, in the cage. Um, I'd love to just go into your performance mind because it's one of the things that I'm really curious about and interested in. Yeah. I feel like if I went to a psychologist, they would say that guy's got problems. Like that guy's got as many performance problems as anyone that I've ever talked to in my life. And the part of the reason I'm so passionate about, sharing a daily message and writing books and speaking on stages is because I'm talking to you person who thinks to yourself, I've got more mind problems than anyone on earth, right? Because I am me, Charlie, am so obsessive. I'm so worrisome. I'm so anxious. I'm so self-doubting. I'm so maniacal 
in the things I do. I, I, I was just talking to my, my, one of my best friends the other day and we were talking and through our conversation, I said, dude, I very easily could be on the opposite end of life that I'm at right now. Like if, if my manias and obsessions and whatever's wouldn't have been pushed in this direction, I don't know where I, I could be in a very bad place in life because that line is, I think is so thin. And you know, I, I, my mindset in wrestling was work hard, work hard, work hard, work hard. By default, you got pretty far, you got pretty good. But then when it came crunch time, I don't believe in me. I don't believe in me. I'm just Charlie. I'm just Charlie. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I'm going to lose. Everyone's going to look at me. Everyone's going to laugh at me. Oh, this is going to be terrible. Boom. Right. And I, I'd, I'd walk myself to the high performing states or whatever's. And then at the last minute I would lose. And that, that was my identity as a human. That's what I thought I was as a wrestler. I'm the guy who gets far and then, yeah, um, you know, craps the bed and, and it's just terrible. Why me? You know, like woes me. And then that, that was my high school career. And then 80% of my college career. And then my prior to my senior year, I had some sort of like, not epiphany, not revelation, but just hit rock bottom. And I think when people hit rock bottom, they can go in a variety of directions. But I had a very clear rock bottom of, I can't take this stress anymore. I just want to have fun doing the sport that when I was eight, I loved. And so I just shed all of the blaming and complaining and negativity about, I should be starting. I should be getting more money. It's no fair. I just like shed it. And I, I, the analogy is that I took off a backpack of rocks and I had a clear, I don't even know if they would remember, but with my brother and my dad before my uh, first tournament of my fifth year at Lock Haven. And I just said, I'm, I, I just hate this guys. And I want to have fun. And I hope that you guys want to have fun with me this year. And that's it. Let's just move forward. And I had a great senior year and I pretty much my potential pretty much matched my performance I finished in the top one or top 12 division one. And, and that was about as good as I was, you know, and I, the kid I lost to uh, took fifth that year. A kid who knocked me out at the round of 12 to become an all American took fifth that year. Johnny Hendricks, his name went on to win a couple national titles was UFC champion, et cetera. So I was like, I don't think I could, I don't think I'd beat him on my best, maybe on his worst day, but he was just better. And uh, so then I got out of competition in my mind, hey, Charlie, was- Charlie, I'm going to pause right there. I just want to introduce you into to this concept. There's a framework that you just outlined. I just want to highlight it for our listeners, which is, so I'm writing my book on this, which is your mindset for preparation and your mindset for performance and how they actually should be different. And so the part of you that was maniacal, self-doubt, uh, worrisome, anxious, that does help us in preparation. It allows us to learn, grow, improve, perfect, um, work. Um, it actually helps us get better where a lot of athletes struggle is they then bring that into the ring or into the arena or or on the field or onto the ice or whatever it is. And that is actually what holds us back from performance. So you talked about having fun. Like one of the binaries that I have is work in preparation, play in performance. Um, and what happens is a lot of people try to work in preparation and they try to work performance and their body is tense and they aren't fluid and they can't actually perform the right way. Humble in preparation, massive. I actually believe you should have an inner arrogance when you're performing this belief that you're important and you matter. And so the ability for a performer to shift out of the preparation mindset and into the performance mindset, when I have introduced that to clients, a lot of times it frees them up because it also allows them to stop judging themselves for being critical in preparation and actually gives them the freedom. It's like, okay, I'm just going to use it, but I'm going to use it here. And then I'm going to notice it and be self-aware of it when it starts to creep in in performance, but I'm just not going to empower it and I'm going to empower something different. And that's that, that shift. um, If you study the best performers, there is a commonality that they use to shift out of that preparation minded into the performance mind. Yeah. And I think I'll probably, and just hearing you say that gives me a sense of calm and ease. Uh, so I can definitely see that were I still performing. And I think what I'm going to explain with fighting is probably that, right? Probably like without knowing it that. So I, I went, you know, post the the fighting in that good or wrestling in that good senior year, I went back to regular life and then I just missed the work. I missed the lifestyle. And so I, I had it needed to assess what can I do to not. Why, 
Why teaching though? Why did you go into teaching? So that was kind of a default choice from, you know, the time I was a kid, I came from a small town and I thought it would be cool to wrestle in college and then come home and be a, a Spanish teacher and a wrestling coach. And so that, that, that was what I thought that was as far as I imagined. And then when I got there, I started imagining like farther. And part of that was due to international travel, having wrestled or having been a Spanish major, you know, I traveled a lot and saw the world, got interested in the world. But then I think what, what tipped me over the line was I got on a reality show called pros versus Joe's. And I went out to California. I got to compete against professional athletes and it was on spike TV. This was 2005, six, and I won and I was able, it was fun. And like I prepared, I worked for it. I got out. So I, I, things happen where I end up on the show. And I get out prior to going out there. I thought I'm going to treat this like a wrestling match. I'm a division one athlete. I'm going to treat it like wrestling, get up early, train, blah, blah, blah. I go out there and just that comfort. When I looked at the other guys, I was like, I trained harder than you. I'm more well-prepared. I'll beat you guys. And it wasn't arrogance. I didn't say it out loud, but I was just like, man, give me the money. Cause I'm excited. And then I won. And then I got home and I got called back for the finale. Then I won a car. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've got this new gift. I need to do something with it. What can I do with it? And then that's where fighting came in. I saw a friend of mine. I just connected, right? I saw a friend of mine. He was wrestled the same division. I did the same area. And he got to the UFC and I just connected his ability to his getting to the UFC. I could touch it. You know, like I used to, to wrestle him. I used to be in the same room with him. I'm the same guy as him. He did it. I can do it. And then that boosted me to like, oh, maybe I'll pursue that. And fighting was my scaredest, most, as a person talking to you right now, I'm, I'm scared of fighting. You know, if I see fighting out in the street, I go away from it. I don't like it. I hate it. I'm scared of it. it people get hurt and in trouble and it's not good. But I wanted to pursue something great. And that was the, the closest, the best choice I had. And so I went after it. But my mentality with fighting and this could be back to the work and in, in, in preparation, fun and performance. I, I was so scared of fighting as a, as a boy and then a man, you know, from middle school, uh, typical bullies and, and being afraid wherever you go, that, that I had to train so hard and live life so hard and intensely to prepare myself to overcome that fear. And I drew a correlation between work and confidence and that whenever people now kids or grown-ups ask about confidence if if i fought anthony johnson he's has a reputation for being the scariest guy in the, who, who was in the ufc um and i wasn't scared to fight him it was it was like oh that's a terrible matchup but okay i'll just train and, and then i'll win and that that'll be that and the only way that i could ever think that was simply by looking at him and or anyone and thinking i trained harder than you i earned this victory you don't know you know life fate whatever has whatever can happen will happen but but it was that work that developed the confidence such that i could fight which is one of the craziest things you can ever do but but, but behind war hand to hand combat like one of the craziest things you can do. And I was able to do it calmly, not, not totally without doubt, but if my doubt level was a nine in wrestling, it was a three in fighting. What, what allowed you to have that other than the training? Is there anything that you could pinpoint that, that allowed you to change? Cause that's fascinating. I mean, you're the same person. This is a couple of years later and you're saying, look, wrestling is scary as well, but you're not having someone try to, you know, choke yeah. you out or I whatever. So much, I was so much less. It's so I was so much less scared to get in a fist fight than I was it, to to wrestle wrestling match. I think part of it was because of how much wrestling meant to me. It was my life. It was my my everything. It was if I lose, my dreams are shattered. Whereas fighting was was not that near and dear to my heart. It was a means to an end of a life that I desired. Um, but it. it also, it, I made it become very mechanical that, that if I live life this way. So Frankie Edgar, is a, he will be a UFC Hall of Famer. He's a former champ. And he has a title fight coming up soon. He's the guy that I saw fighting in the UFC. He was a friend of mine and, and became a mentor. And I just, it, I, I looked at him and said, okay, Frankie does these things. I'm going to do these things and then I'll be okay. Like it just became cause effect or 
check the box. And, and by doing all that work, I had a lot less time and a lot less energy to focus on what I couldn't do and how good I was not. That it was almost like, you know, if, if, if you do these things, which one of the best in the world is doing, you're good. You, you can't not be good. So it became very mechanical, very black and white. This is a life I need to live. These are the choices I need to make. These are the places I need to go. These are the shoulders and elbows that I need to rub up against. And if I do that, I'm okay. And that's, that's how I did it. You mentioned then falling in love with philosophy, psychology, uh, mental performance, this stuff after fighting. Dude, uh, yeah. You know what I'm about to ask? What would the impact have been if you had- I would smash. I, would, I, haven't, I haven't trained seriously on the mat and, and I do- you know, I weigh the same, I look the same, but I haven't trained fighting technique consistently for over three years. I guarantee I could smash me in 2015, a million percent that the me today could smash the me then just because of the awareness and confidence with which I walk as a human. Um, I don't know if that's what you're going to ask, but that's how I feel about me today fighting me then I'd smash him. So why not? Why not fight? Yeah, because there's so much more that goes with it than just fighting. It's like if if there were a if there were a fight club, you know that that's one thing. But I, I just I take it too seriously to not put everything of myself into it, and everything of myself is a big investment of time and energy and money and away from family, and the rewards are not. Life got to a point, and this is an interesting part, especially, you know, I talked earlier about the transitioning out of sports. It became such that the work that I would need, that I would obligate myself to put into it, the reward, the juice wasn't worth the squeeze. Like it just became not worth it. And I'm very cognizant about my, my mental health and my concussions and trauma and my trauma to my brain, et cetera. And honestly, if I, if I fought it, and I'm not saying I'll never fight. I, I really doubt I'll ever fight, but someone puts a million dollars in front of me, I'll, I'll probably take a fight. Uh, but it just, for $10,000, uh, it's not worth it. It's silly because especially with what I'm doing now, I can get on a stage, you know, within a few years, I hope to be making $10,000 for a talk. So that's a talk, you know, and it's, it's, it just doesn't make sense. A little physically healthier um, on the body. But um, I, I do the whole warrior, warrior mentality, warrior mindset, fighter mindset. I, I love it, man. And, 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 and I, I try to live that in a civilized way. But that, I'm going to say, brutality and honesty of fighting is something that I do miss. Do you use that warrior mentality when you're speaking, when you're writing, when you're like, how, how do you leverage that? I do. I kind of, I, I use that, that gumption and allow it to come out of my pores either by way of my words or by way of my uh, stance when I'm speaking, like all of the energy that is comprised in developing or, or conveying a message, giving a message by, by my, and it's not like I, uh, uh, manufacture this. It just come, it is what it is, right? When someone's really in, when, when there's, when words are coming out of my mouth and then you see, you, you see it and you feel it that this is real. This guy really feels this. This is this guy. That's how I let it come out. You know, when I, I write a book or I write a post or I speak on a stage or I record an episode, all of this warrior stuff that I'm talking about, you can hear in my voice and in my message. Can you go to the biggest pain that you felt as a competitor? And I don't mean necessarily physical pain but like a low point it could be wrestling it could be uh mma and then i also am going to ask you the opposite as far as like a high point and and i just want to tap into the emotion of like the the feeling of pain and sadness and then the emotion of feeling happiness and what that and was this, like for you this goes back to the question where we said do i like wrestling i i address that and then i also say that there's much more heartbreak than triumph in my experiences, you know, but the, the, the heartbreak, there's two, one in wrestling that I think of and one in fighting. The one in wrestling was without a doubt, losing my second state title, my senior year in uh, high school. And I was only an 18 year old kid, but that, that winning a state title, having a gold medal was, I mean, still hurts the most out of anything I've, I've ever lost. So that specifically, and then 
this is more of a culmination of several other heartbreaking moments. But when you lose a fight, it's so hollow and so empty. And like, if you get choked out or the ref stops it, or it's just like, it takes a second where you're like, is this real? Did this really just happen? Am I really here? And then it's just total dejection. And so if you culminate all of them into, I have a, a distinct moment, you know, whether it was the actual moment or a figment of, of a, away you know it's it's i was laying in bed one night and and you dream and then you open your eyes and you're like i just get choked out i remember i fought a guy named benil dariush it was my first fight back to the ufc got fired from the ufc i won four fights on the regional scene came back short notice new weight class this kid was new in the ufc i was going to smash him i got choked out and i don't know how quick and I remember flying home and it was like over before it started. And I remember opening my eyes that night from, a, from sleep and, and thought, did I really just get choked out by him? Yeah. And you're laying there alone and, and the, like, you know, my wife's sleeping, nobody's talking. It's just, it's so stinking lonely. And before, that, we go, that, b- before we go to the happy part, I'm just curious, what did you learn about yourself either from the state championship or from that loss uh, fighting? The, the, the ability, you know, my, my superpower, that's kind of a cheesy term. And, and when I hear it, I think cheese ball, but it's also a really great kind of adjective uh, is to just keep going. I, I'm really good at discipline and keeping going. Like I, I don't quit and I might, I might, uh, and I'll say quit, but I don't know if that's the right, the right verb, but you know, I might lose today or you might outwork me today. But I, I'm not going to stop in the long run. The, the Jordan Peterson, who wrote 12 Rules for Life, um, really smart guy. But he says life's not a game. It's a series of game. And the, 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 the deal is to win the series, not just the game. And I'll, take, I'll challenge anyone in the game of life to not quit. And that's what I learned through that process. And that's the gift that I want to share with the world because I'm no different. I'm that, that kid who worries about everything from small town Pennsylvania you know if I can keep on keeping on you can absolutely keep on keeping on and then take me to the the brightest moment the brightest moment was uh and actually there's two that pop into my mind the the one was my senior year of college and I had lost my first match at nationals and this was after a, a great season so I think like Seven of my 11 losses that year, I was 35 and 11. I think seven of the 11 were two All-Americans, like many of them, one, two, and three in the country. And I remember I lost my first match at Nationals, and then I started beating some good kids. And I was like, oh, I just won. Oh, I just won again. Oh, I just won again. Uh, I'm almost an All-American. This is pretty awesome. And I remember you get to the round of 16, the round of 12, and then if you win the round of 12, you're an All-American. And in the round of 16, I was wrestling this kid from uh, per- Hofstra or Purdue. And, uh, I mean, he was really good. I saw his name the whole year. Whatever. It was a close match, back and forth, back and forth. And late in the match, it was the third period. I feel like it was a one- or two-point match. And he went for a shot, I think, to go ahead. And there was a scramble. I ended up on top. And it, it put me up by, like, three points with 40 seconds to go. And I just knew there's no way I'm going to lose this match. I not going to lose the match at all. And it was a scramble. And I was kind of basically like sitting on him through this scramble. And I remember looking at my coach smiling like this. Is all, yeah. And he was like, wrestle, wrestle. And I just remember that sticking out in my mind. Again, the, the next round I lost, you know, I wasn't all American, but that moment was like, it was kind of like validation. I, I'm, I'm one of the best 12 in the country. And I should be. If I win another one, I overdid myself. But at least right now, I'm where I should be. And then uh, the other most obvious from my fighting career is when I beat Rick Story in 2011. And the way I would liken that is imagine, listener, that, you know, Rocky's my hero. My son's name's Rocky. I, I love it. It's, it's everything I stand for and everything I want to be. And I had a Rocky moment and opportunity put in my lap, and I made the most of it. And I was thrown in last second against the guy who was ranked number six in the world. And I beat him. And it was not far from my hometown with a bunch of people on TV sponsored by my hometown convenience store. And I did it. So it, that, that experience showed me, okay, Charlie, you haven't perfected it. You know, you still have doubts and you still have whatever. But on the biggest competitive night of your life, you performed. So you do have the ability and you do have the skill. Um, and as dejected as the losses feel, 
the elation and pure bliss of that night are something I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'll never feel again. As you tell about it right now, can you feel anything in your body come up as you're even rehashing it? I can, but to be honest, it was the, the, the negative stuff that, that it was the negative stuff. But then honestly, I got teary. I tell about the wrestling stuff. And I think that's just because of how much wrestling meant to me. Um, but when I think of the story, yeah, I mean, it's emotion without a doubt. I just, it's, uh, yeah, a million percent. Awesome. And you mentioned your son, Rocky, if he wants to be an MMA fighter or whatever they're doing, whenever he's an adult, uh, what's your perspective on that? Well, I have, I have two kids, a son and a daughter. My daughter's five and, and my son is two. And it's funny, my daughter's name is Gracie. And that was my wife's doing. It has nothing to do with the Gracie fight. She's, I did not, she had to know, but whenever she picked that name, because it was very cut and dry. I, the boys, Rocky, period. Uh, you can pick the girl. And whenever she said Gracie, I was like, uh, okay, <laughs> do you know, you know, do you know? So it worked out perfectly. For people um, that don't, for people that don't know, the Gracie family are this legendary, it's jujitsu, right? Where the Brazilian, Brazilian family, and they've opened up a bunch of gyms with their last names. So in the MMA world, there's probably, that's probably the name. The that, most famous name. The most famous name. Sports. Yeah. Um, I just want to give them the same gift my parents did. If, if I would have said I want to be a mountain climber, they would have done everything they could to make me a mountain climber. So my, my, my hope, you know, I used to, I still have to battle with it, you know, to say the fantasy of my son growing up to follow my footsteps and wrestling, blah, blah, blah. But then it's like, well, you know what? Your daughter could want to do it too. And then it's like, yeah, she could. And then it's like, well, she could want to do something else and he could want to do something else. So I think my, my biggest hope is that I give them the gift to be exactly what they're supposed to be. And that's, that, that sounds like a, okay, God, no, but that's the truth. Like I, I don't, I don't, I would love for them to like the things I like, but I don't have control of it. I can only do the things that I like to the best of my ability and instill in them a, a, a desire to pursue something. So regardless of what it is, I'm, I'm so excited at the prospect of being both of their number one fans. Awesome. I think that's a beautiful place to start to wind down. And uh, the last thing I'd love to find out a little more about is this business and what you're up to and uh, why you're doing it and what you're doing. So give everyone an idea of what you're up to and how they can support you and uh, give us an idea of why you're, why you're even doing it. Yeah. So my, my, my business is essentially speaking, podcasting and writing books. And I wrote one book called driven my unlikely journey from classroom to cage. I'm writing another book called becoming the world's toughest lifelong learner. And it's a book for anyone who wants to pursue anything. And basically what that book is, it's a combination memoir and how to, and how to is pursue something. You know, if you're a person sitting there, whether you want to do it, there's obviously an emphasis on speaking and podcasting, but if you're looking to pursue something and you're sitting like I was in, you know, 2000, 2006 thinking, uh, man, I really would like to do something, but, but you just don't know how to do it. I really, it's a, it's a how to on how you do it. You're taking the first steps, the things that you're going to experience, the, the people that you're going to experience, some principles, both life and business principles. And we used a lot of the books that I read and the conversations that I have on my podcast to put together what I think is it's one of those things that even if no one else likes it, me and dread my partner, it's exactly what we hope to create. Uh, so there's that. And then I speak on stages. A good bit of the, the time I spend working with kids, youth and schools. And uh, I also do corporate talks as well. And uh, my show, The Spaniard Show, is uh, it's, it's my reps, basically. You know, so I, I read books. I just finished Milton Hershey's uh, book about Milton Hershey. And I, I read and I synthesize and I teach and I apply it to my life and I apply it to your life. And it, it's really a celebration of learning. That's what the Spender Show is, is a belief and celebration of learning. Um, so that's it. My website, charliespender.com has everything I got going on. And I do want, this is good timing because my book will be coming out um, toward the end of the summer. And listeners, if, if you're interested in learning more about me, the book, the show, more learning resources, charliespinner.com slash email. 
uh, has an opt-in and I'll be sending out free PDFs in my book to everyone who signs up to that email address once it's complete too, because I'm, I'm learning more and more about marketing as, as uh, this business develops and you know, getting the word out there is, is super important. You and me both, brother. I, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's not something I've mastered by any stretch of the imagination, but hopefully we can share little nuggets along the way. Um, this has been super fun. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Brian Levinson, Instagram, intentional underscore performers. And then you can listen to all of our episodes at intentionalperformers.com. Spaniard, Charlie, Chuck, Hopefully I didn't, hopefully I didn't trigger <laughs> that anything. That didn't sound right. Chuck didn't sound right. It struck something in my brain. Yeah, hopefully it doesn't strike anything. I'm glad that knowing that you're not into fighting, um, I don't have to worry too much. You're not nope. too far away that you're not going to find me and, and beat me up. Um, so this has been great. And I'm excited to continue to follow your journey and see where it takes you and see what the book has to offer in a couple months. Uh, and it's just been great to get to know you. And I'm grateful to have you share you and your story and, and your mindset as well. Likewise, man. I appreciate your time and the conversation. Thank you for listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson. Here is this week's episode jam. Fighting was my scaredest, most, as a person talking to you right now, I'm, I'm scared of fighting. You know, if I see fighting out in the street, I go away from it. I don't like it. I hate it. I'm scared of it. it people get hurt and in trouble and it's not good. But I wanted to pursue something great and that was the, the closest, the best choice I had. And so I went after it. But my mentality with fighting and this could be back to the work and in, in, in preparation, fun and performance. I I was so scared of fighting as a as a boy and then a man, you know, from middle school, the typical bullies and, and being afraid wherever you go, that, that I had to train so hard and live life so hard and intensely to prepare myself to overcome that fear. And I drew a correlation between work and confidence 